The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the sales skill building solution that empowers sales teams worldwide to multiply sales opportunities by improving perception, accelerating trust building, and by earning repeat business. Get the best-selling book by C. Lee Smith, download the free mobile app, and now sign up for the SalesCred Masterclasses. Book your session now at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. You know, Lee, we've talked about boards before on the show. I think it was a couple of years ago, but we haven't mm-hmm. talked about it for a while. And there's a brand spanking new book out called Startup Boards that I think uh, you're going to love. The author is here with us today. We're very lucky to revisit this topic again in, I think, a much more comprehensive way. So our audience is mostly sales managers, but you also have leadership VP levels and up and down like that. But we also have managers, though, who are doing startups or they're doing side hustles or, uh, you know, companies in the growth stage. So it's like that's who we're going to be talking to today. And I'm really excited about today's guest. Me too. So welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. Now in season three, how did that happen? I'm Audrey Strong, the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. I'm C. Lee Smith, the founder and CEO of SalesFuel. And Matt Blumberg is our guest today, a technology entrepreneur, business builder, and CEO of Bolster. That's his company's name, an on-demand executive talent marketplace that helps accelerate companies' growth by connecting them with experienced highly vetted executives for interim fractional advisory, project-based or board roles. Matt has been recognized as one of New York's 100 most influential tech leaders by Business Insider, by Cranes as one of New York's top entrepreneurs, and by Ernst & Young, just a little firm you might have heard of, Mm. as the Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Before Bolster, Matt built businesses and worked in marketing, consulting, and venture capital. And again, three books out, Startup CEO, Startup CXO, and released in June 2022 this year, Startup Boards. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Good to be here, Audrey, Lee. Hey, I'm noticing a trend in those book titles. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lee, hey, you so, were one of the first questions. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask a question. So, speaking of startups, why should a startup or, or a company that's in the growth stage create a board of directors? What are the benefits? Uh, you know, I so first of all, every company has a board of directors, right? You're chartered in the state of whatever, New York, Delaware, and you mm-hmm. have to have a board. Frequently, someone just you know makes themselves the board member if they're the founder. Uh, if you have venture capital investors or private equity investors, they make you have a board. Uh, but the reality is that a good board is uh, or can be a company's secret weapon uh, on many, many, many different fronts. And uh, even if you don't have to have a formal board of directors, uh, you as a leader will find a lot of benefits of doing so. And what are those? Well, um, Good board uh, is a strategic advisory group for a company. Uh, you can sort of think of it as like the council of elders, even if they're not hmm. uh, elder. Uh, but you know, strategic advisory group. It's a group that um, you know, because of the nature of a board, they have one foot in the company and one foot out of the company. Um, so uh, one thing that boards uh, can be very helpful at for leaders is giving them perspective. Um, I actually had a board meeting this week. I had one two days ago. 
Um, you know, I'm an experienced CEO. I've been doing this for 25 years at multiple companies. I've been a board member at many companies. And still, when you're the CEO of a company and you are heads down building your business, it is really helpful to have a group that can pull you out of the weeds sometimes. Um, so I think boards are great for that. I think boards can also be really helpful as a forcing function. Um, you know, most companies don't have hard deadlines for shipping product or for, you know, making numbers. And, um, you know, a board can be very helpful uh, as almost a tool to the CEO to say, like, to the team, hey, you know, we've got a board meeting coming up in, you know, in a month or two months, you know, really want to ship this product by then. Uh, you know, I want to have this milestone met or that financial target met. So a good board can do lots of, uh, lots of important things for a company. So you want a good board that challenges you and actually holds you to these things, not just figureheads that really you guys meet and say you met, but there's really nothing really going I, on. That's, there. I, I sort of put that under the <clears throat> heading of why bother. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have seen um, uh, good boards help amplify good company success. Um, a bad board can actually harm a company pretty significantly. And, and a board like the one you just described, which I sort of call a met board, <laughs> it's just, a, it's kind of a waste of everybody's time. Um, and, you know, who wants to waste time these days? Nobody wants to waste time. Mm -hmm. uh, board members who are totally perfunctory don't add any value in any of the ways I just talked about a minute ago. And, um, you know, sometimes perfunctory board members are just people who are not really qualified to be on a board. Sometimes they are board members, like I, I use the phrase trophy board members. Mm. Um, and, you know, trophy board members, which are like, oh, the person with the great name, you know, the, the rock star. Um, trophy board members are all, not only a waste of time, but they're high maintenance waste of time. Uh, and, you know, they're not, you, you have to have board members that are appropriate for the kind of company you are. Um, and the example I always love to point out around this is Theranos. Right, Theranos, yes. one of the great belly flops of the century. And who was on their board? Henry Kissinger, George Schultz, David Petraeus. It's a list of, uh, you know, of, of largely political notables because the CEO uh, was, um, uh, you know, was an egomaniac and, and incredibly persuasive and charming and loved to surround herself by with some of these people. Like Henry Kissinger is 100 years old. George Schultz, who's now deceased, is almost 100 years old. They're not contemporary business builders in med tech. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you, know, you sort of wonder what was, A, what was going on there when she asked them to be on the board, when they decided to be on the board, what were their board meetings like? And then when it all came unraveled at the end, where was the governance? Right. Yeah, I Audrey, actually, you, yeah. yeah, in prep for this meeting, don't laugh at me, Matt, but I said, I'm really annoyed that Chelsea Clinton is on the board of Expedia. What what travel industry experience does Chelsea Clinton have? And it's really an access issue, isn't that really what it is? I mean, her her, yeah. her parents are friends with Barry Diller. That that may be an access issue. And look, access isn't a bad reason to put someone mm, okay. on to make someone a strategic advisor, but you don't want a whole board full of them. Um, gotcha. Then you have to know what you're asking them for and and why you're asking them. And I don't know Chelsea Clinton. You know, she may be deeply involved in the, um, you know, in, the, in the, the operations and logistics of the Clinton Global, Global Foundation. Maybe she does know a lot about travel. Maybe she has been a business builder there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, 
you know, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, Henry Kissinger and George Saltz hadn't built software <laughs> companies or, or med tech companies. So, uh, but, you know, that was probably her strategy was access. At the end of the day, though, you can't have a board that is nothing but access because the board is responsible mm-hmm. for some governance, some oversight, uh, and, um, you know, and, and, and real strategic and financial advice. You had mentioned that a bad board can harm a company. So what's your definition of a bad board and what are some of the ways that it can actually harm a, a company? A you know, bad board is a board that doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't pay attention to its job um, and it doesn't understand the, the, um, you know, the game that the company is playing. They don't understand the ecosystem the company is in, the customers they serve, the products they put out. Um, and, uh, you know, bad boards can harm a company in lots of ways. CEOs, even the best CEOs, need some level of accountability. And if you have, for example, if you have a board that just rolls over when the CEO walks in the room, that's not helpful for anybody. Um, right? That's not holding the CEO accountable uh, to task, accountable to goals, etc. Um, I have seen boards that let companies uh, be way too uh, risk-taking terms of uh, the business model, in terms of financials. Um, we acquired a company, and my, my previous uh, company did an acquisition of, um, you know, of a company that was a direct competitor of ours that literally flew the plane into the side of the mountain. Like the company had a million dollars in the bank and was burning $700,000 a month and didn't have a fundraising strategy. Wow. So, I mean, the company was destined to die. And we, you know, we were able to pick it up for pennies on the dollar because it was about to go out of business. Boards can't let companies do that. Understood. You talk about size, composition, different roles. Um, I know that that's a lot to unpack, but if a couple tips based on, I don't know, the number, what your revenue is and the number of employees, how do you um, gauge the metrics of those? Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, so well, let's start with different roles. So there are for, for private companies and, and in particular, the world that I play in is startups, as you noted from all the book titles, mm-hmm. um, startups tend to be backed by professional venture capital investors. Um, those boards uh, and typically boards have three types of uh, directors. They have management, right, people who work in the company, investors, people who uh, whose firms own a big chunk of the company and they are sitting on the board representing that firm and that firm's interest. And then what we call independent directors. And an independent director may have some stock options, but they're truly independent. They're not paid a salary by the company and they don't own a life-changing amount of equity in the company. Um, so when we talk about building boards, typically what we're talking about is adding independent directors to a board. It might be subtracting management from a board or it might be subtracting investors from a board. We try to get to a board that has a good balance between the three different types. So, um, and so I'll answer your question about sort of size of boards. Boards tend to get bigger as companies get bigger. Um, our rule of thumb about a high functioning board is that uh, we call it the rule of ones. It's uh, add board members from day one, only one member of the management team on the board. And then for every one investor, add one independent. So, uh, you know, a, a raw startup might have a three person board, um, a, mid-stage growth company might have a five-person board. When a company gets bigger, it gets close to the size where they're going public or they're north of 100 million in sales. Maybe they have a seven-person board. Um, you know, public companies can be a little larger than that as well. So the, the ideal board for me is, um, you know, the CEO, uh, founder, um, 
couple investors and a couple independent directors. That sounds good. So uh, let's say that some of our viewers here are, um, you know, they're, they're in leadership roles and they, they aspire someday to actually serve on a board, but they've never served on a board, so they don't have those credentials. So what do you recommend for those folks? Everyone's got to have their first board sometime, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, you know, when we, so one of the things my company does, as you noted, is we do um, help companies with board director searches. And one of the things that we look for um, is not uh, someone who is board experienced necessarily, like they've been on a board or two, but someone that is board ready. So there are a lot of things you can do to get yourself board ready as a leader or an executive who's not a chief executive, who's not someone who's been on boards before. Um, one thing you can do is serve on other kinds of boards. Um, you know, people who serve on nonprofit boards, on community boards like the PTA, the clubs, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts, the Little League board, you know, those things actually kind of count. It's different than a corporate board, um, but it, it uh, has some of the skills, the same skills and experiences involved. And it demonstrates to people looking at your resume that you have done, you know, leadership roles above and beyond uh, your day job at work. Um, I always believe that someone is board ready if they've been a senior executive. So if you've reported to a CEO and you therefore have had exposure to the company's board, you've been, maybe you've been invited into board meetings to observe, to participate, to present the annual sales plan, um, you know, to, to uh, come in in the middle of the year uh, and give an update on things. Uh, if you're familiar with what a boardroom looks like and how board meeting functions, um, you're probably ready for a board role. Um, and then I would say the last thing, in some ways maybe the most important, is um, seek out opportunities to advise CEOs and advise management teams. So if you're the head of sales at a $20 million revenue company, um, you are more than qualified to mentor a head of sales at a $5 million company or to be an advisor to a founder or a CEO that's coming out of um, a studio or an accelerator or incubator um, about how to set up their go-to-market motion. Um, so any of those things count. They all go on your resume as you know, advisory, uh, and they're all markers to uh, someone that's looking to potentially put you on, your board, on their board that you're ready to make that step. I'm curious, how many, what percentage of board members would you guesstimate have some sort of experience in, in a sales role? Um, I bet it's pretty small. You know, if you so again, I'm talking about the world that I'm that I'm playing in of uh, tech startups. Most board members are still founders and venture capitalists. So some of those people, um, sure, some of those people will have come up through sales. Unlikely, a lot of venture capitalists came up through sales, but there may be some founders um, who came up through sales. But they're on the board not as a head of sales; they're on the board as a CEO. So what you're talking about is what percentage of independent board members are heads of sales. And I bet it's less than 10%. Wow. A lot of independent directors are CEOs, presidents, chief operating officers, chief financial officers. Those are the ones that are going to get the most play because those people tend to have, um, you know, sort of the broadest perspective on the overall workings of a company. Um, but we are increasingly seeing when we do board searches, um, startups who are interested in go-to-market people sitting on their board. Um, because they'll look at their board and we encourage them to look at their board holistically as a team. And, you know, if you're, if you're a coach, if you're a GM and you're trying to put together a team, you want to have different kinds of athletes, you want different position players um, making up your team. And if 
no different. So, um, you know, a board that has a founder-driven product and financially oriented investors on it um, sometimes can really benefit from having a go-to-market professional sitting on the board. Um, so we've definitely placed a few heads of sales or, or go-to-market professionals on boards. Um, I think you'll see more of that over time, particularly as boards try to get more diverse. Um, it is harder to find um, underrepresented talent coming out of venture capital firms and CEOs than it is coming out of functional executive roles. Yeah, we've had um, startup professionals on the show before that have said, why wouldn't you have somebody from, you know, be employee number three, that's the, the C-suite sales guy, because what happens is the, they, they invent this product. And by the time they pass it to sales, sales doesn't understand what it is and what it does and how to talk about it or anything. Whereas if you have somebody in from the beginning, it seems like your alignment is better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what I've seen a lot is like, okay, we've gotten some capital. Now we're going to go out and hire a bunch of engineers, you know, yeah. and developers and everything. And then, then at some point, and we're going we're gonna to have maybe three or four salespeople. And then we'll think about then, you know, ramping up the salespeople once we ha feel like we've got a, a minimum viable product or something like that. But it just kind of seems like sales is kind of, for a lot of startups that I've seen, it's kind of like an afterthought, which always perplexes me. Well, I mean, I think a lot of startups um, engage in founder selling at the beginning, right? Yeah. The founder's the visionary. Yeah, yeah. Um, the founder will play the role of salesperson. I, you know, Bolster is two and a half years old. I probably still spend 50% of my time in market with customers. And, um, the, uh, you know, I, I think, I don't know if you if you all have heard this, you're in the selling business, you probably have. Um, but uh, there was, a, uh, I think, a Harvard Business Review article many years ago that um, one of my mentors and board members um, had me read and quoted to me, and I now use it all the time. So I've blogged this framework. I've written about it in my books. Um, but it's sort of the, the three stages. I think it's the three stages of the enterprise selling. Uh, and stage one is selling on whiteboard. Uh, so if you are a startup and you are doing founder selling, you, you don't have collateral. You don't even necessarily have a product to demo. You're selling on whiteboard. You're selling with your hands. And that's hard to that's hard to replicate, which I think is what you're getting to. Lee. Yeah, yeah. Salespeople are an afterthought, right? Phase two is what uh, used to be called selling on PowerPoint. I think probably now you would say selling on Google Slides. Um, <laughs> but what that means is that you move beyond the founder, but you still don't have a really finely tuned go-to-market motion. And the reason it's called selling on PowerPoint is you have to hire people that are like very clever business development people, not point-and-click salespeople. And what those people have is like a whole bunch of different PowerPoint decks. And every time they're getting ready to do a sales pitch, they're like, oh, I need this slide from over here and this slide from over here and this slide from over here. And I think that's what's gonna work for this particular case. Um, and phase three is selling on PDF. Selling on PDF is when you're grooved. You know exactly what works. You hire a 25 year old and you say, if you use this script with this follow-up and this you know, call list, and you're any good, you know, you will have this percent that convert to the next stage of the funnel and this percent that convert to the next stage of the funnel. And it's just a grooved operation. Um, startups can't start at PDF. They got to, they have to go through that journey from whiteboard to slides uh, to eventually get to PDF. So here's, here's my last question for you, uh, is that you mentioned a diverse board. So 
What are people like you doing then to help boards become more diverse? And what are some of the challenges that you face in doing so? So, I mean, we do two things. My own board is highly diverse because I have made a commitment to finding phenomenal board members from, from different backgrounds and different walks of life. So I have a six-person board, two uh, white men, uh, you know, four people of color, four women, uh, and uh, uh, it is a highly diverse board. So we try to lead by example. The biggest thing we're doing at Bolster, though, is we're helping companies build diverse boards by really helping them find talent that might not have met yesterday's description of what it takes to be a board member, where yesterday's description was you've been on a board, uh, but meet tomorrow's description of what it means to be board ready. That's great. Well, bolster.com is your website. Your Twitter is Matt Blumberg, B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G, everyone. And um, so you're taking new clients, I would assume, and any listeners to the show should just reach out through the website. Yeah, clients or members. Um, you know, okay. a client is someone that's hiring an executive, but we have uh, you know tens of thousands of executives that are in the network. Even if you have a full time job and aren't looking for one, um, you know, we place people in mentor roles and coach roles, advisor roles, board roles all the time that are side hustles. That's great, Matt. This has been very interesting. Good luck. I think the book. How is the, how is the book selling? Is it doing well? It's it's doing pretty well. I mean, it's obviously like you know, it's, it's not. You're not gonna you're not gonna find it in that uh, you know on the in the display case at the airport necessarily. Okay. It's a little niche, <laughs> um, but it has definitely sold. I don't know, probably sold at least ten thousand copies at this point. So that's great. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, we're recording this in December, everyone. So that's six months. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for being on our show. We sure appreciate it. Great stuff. Good to talk with you both. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.